0: listening to homicide worldwide your host sally and would like to remind our listeners the episodes deal with crimes that are graphic in nature
1: and may not be suitable for all listeners listener discretion is strongly advised
0: Want to share a podcast that all of us over here at Homicide Worldwide absolutely love? It's called The Cast Files. Here to tell you a little about their show are our friends Kristen and Dave. The Cast Files is a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of The X Files, spoiler free. Greetings, listeners, domestic, international, and extraterrestrial. I'm Dave Reed,
1: and I'm Kristen Riley, and this is The Cast Files.
0: I am a nerd who somehow never saw the X Files,
1: and I watched it when it originally aired.
0: I have uh, neglected to mention that there's a bathroom troll. If if we get a hundred thousand subscribers, I'll get that tattooed on me. <laughs> Be sure to check them out wherever you listen to podcasts. Black Friday. Americans line up in the cold, sometimes for hours before shopping malls open, waiting anxiously for the employees who've been ripped away from their family celebrations so that the portal to savings may be opened. In my world, this is the portal to hell. As the gut bomb from the day before still sits in our bellies and the blood sugar spikes are still happening in our veins, the logical action is, of course, to frantically stampede into the dystopia of overcrowded parking lots and the abyss of commerce hungover from tryptophan and exploding out of our fat pants, we tend to forget the part about being thankful for all the real and tangible blessings that our lives have. In Ashley Harris's life, there was so much to be thankful for. She was young and she was vibrant and things were going pretty well for her. She loved her family and they loved and supported her as well. Her parents, her friends, and her job were all kicking ass. And although things were going well in her life, Ashley had always had this feeling that she would die young. Then, on that unfortunate Black Friday in 2014, her premonition came true. Ashley loved her job so much that upon realizing a major theft had occurred several months prior, and the perpetrators were likely her fellow employees, she immediately helped with an investigation to prove what happened, and the events that followed were a tragic reminder that people are capable of horrible things when they refuse to be accountable for their actions. We hope that all of our American listeners have a safe Thanksgiving. And for all of our non-American listeners, we hope that you are safe as well and that you are thankful for not having a Black Friday in your country. This is episode 48 of Homicide Worldwide.
1: this fine evening. I'm actually doing pretty well. I could use two weeks that were magically inserted into my life that I didn't know was coming. You said magical insertion and coming. I know. I was really hoping that you would just (laughs) pick that up and do something with it. (laughs) And you did. This is why I can trust you. This is why I can always trust you. I am Sally. I'm one of your co-hosts. And I am Kita, your other co-host. And together we form Homicide Worldwide. Wide. Wide we just connected our rings together. I mean, the rings on our hands, just to be clear. Not the nipple ring. No, or any other kind. Like you said in the intro about blessings and thankfulness, this is a good time to just step back and be like, okay, what have I got? Four walls, safety. I have a regular income. I like my job. That is lucky and wonderful. Most people hate their jobs. You know, I- I have moderately good health, knock on everything that's made of wood. You know, I've got a lot to be thankful for. I've got friends who can tolerate me family <laughs> who supports me and loves me like my friends support and love me and lots to be thankful for. What do you have to be thankful for, my dear friend? Much of the same? Oh, man.
0: You know, yeah, I'm mean, going to echo a lot of that. But, you know, this last year has definitely been a a big eye opener and I have I shifted back into a career that I I had before in a different capacity, and I'm loving it. I'm super grateful for all the opportunities that I have. Um, I'm super grateful for my family and our health and just all the things that are happening in our lives that are positive. And I oftentimes overlook those. And I really have to kind of take a step back myself and realize that there is so much to be grateful for. And I really have to say that I'm grateful to you as well to be here with us on Homicide Worldwide. And I wouldn't want to do this with anybody else. You're my
1: best friend and I love you. And thanks dude. Likewise. I mean, seriously, like you're going to make my rusty old tear ducts like work again. (laughs) Somehow they're just going to (laughs) open like the tin man. (laughs) It's strangely fun to be talking about something so awful. And you know, the thing is too, that what we're talking about is not so much murder as why are humans the way they are, right? Why do people become this way and how can we do differently? And so even though it is sometimes, you know, entertaining and macabre and gory and all that stuff, you know, there's a a wider thing that we do look at of just why are humans like this? It's an interesting question. And I am so thankful to be exploring it with you and our lovely producer, Martin. Yeah, It's a lot of fun to be here and listeners, we're grateful for you as well. Yeah, All 17 of you. <laughs> and- <laughs> you guys, no, there's more every day.
0: Exactly, and that was the next thing I was going to say as well. Is I I'm extremely grateful for how receptive our listeners have been and how everybody's stuck with us. And you know, we can see people who have been with us from the beginning who've tolerated those first few shows. We know who you are, right? We've got data. We can see you, people. We know who you are. No, I'm just kidding. We don't know who you are. We know where you are, though. We know where you live. <laughs> but you know just really grateful that homicide worldwide is taking off and I'm really excited for
1: the future with it so yeah yep 2022 bigger badder more horrific things coming your (laughs) way
0: dude and in many many more of the years to come
1: I'm sure we'll have plenty of material yeah because humans are the worst as we say
0: they're the worst and they're only gonna get worse
1: that's right (laughs) speaking of the worst humans Uh, Some of the humans that we're going to talk about tonight are several of the worst, but also one of the nicest.
0: Yes. Tonight we are going to be talking about a murder that happened in Texas in 2014. This case, when I found it, was just like, am I really reading this right? Mm -hmm. Is this really what happened in this case? It involves theft and it involves greed and it involves
1: revenge. Lots of revenge. And it involves murder. So much murder, one specific murder. And the very topical element of this crime is that it occurred on
0: Black Friday. Um, I have to say for myself personally, in case it was not glaringly obvious in the intro, Black Friday is not my personal favorite thing.
1: No, I actually, as an Australian and as a recent arrival on these shores, we're not super recent. It was, you know, 2000-ish. My new in-laws took me one time on a a Black Friday binge and I didn't really know about Black Friday. Oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Oh, it was amazing. I wasn't really prepared for it. The sort of rampaging nature of it. (laughs) I didn't know there would be so much running. I didn't know there would be so much grabbing. And hysteria. There was a surprising amount of hysteria and we went a little later when it wasn't like at the doors at like 6am when people like literally fist fight for the cheapest TV. Oh, Oh, America, you crazy kid. (laughs) Um, But you know, one of the reasons it's called Black Friday, it's not because it's a black March because people die. Oh, it's black. I know (laughs) it's black because of accounting language about getting into the black.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. That makes sense. From an accounting perspective, that makes total sense.
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So Black Friday gets you into the black instead of the red where you're not making a profit. Right. You're into the black where you are making a profit. Hence Black Friday.
0: I feel like either could be applicable because if it's Red Friday, because based on like the amount of carnage that can happen and the the like blood running in the streets. Yes. It's just The bloody knees, the, the tramplings mm-hmm. that have happened. Yep. Chunks of hair being pulled from scalps. We all know how scalps bleed. That's true. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. definitely thought Black Friday, I didn't really ever consider what Black Friday was. I just always chalked it up to how I see it, which is that yeah. it's,
1: it's just apocalyptic.
0: Yeah. It's like an abyss mm-hmm. of just insanity. Yeah. Like unfortunate event. And uh, it turns out it's just accounting. You know, also accounting is an unfortunate event.
1: Oh my God. That's true.
0: So a little about Ashley Harris. She grew up in Texas. Uh, She was a woman who is described as not having an enemy in the world. Even though she had had a few relationships kind of fall through the cracks, she managed to stay really close and really good friends with several of her ex-girlfriends. Which in life, just to A, have somebody say that you never had an enemy in the world, and then also to stay friendly with
1: numerous exes, that's pretty hard to fucking accomplish. That says a lot about you as a person, I really do think, about your ability to sort of like get over shit and move past shit and value people's relationships over petty crap. Like, yeah, that's just in general, that speaks well of her.
0: Yeah. In hearing some of the things that her ex-girlfriends were saying about her, I mean, they really spoke about the person who she was and what a lovely individual she was and how she was just kind and caring and giving and just, you know, the type of person that we need a little more of in this world. She just kind of was living her life. When she was murdered, she was 31 years old and she was on this upswing with her career and she definitely was going
1: places within the company. And, you know, the degree to which she was really loved by the people in her life was evident from the crowd that gathered at the crime scene to wait for news about her fate. And apparently there were about 50 people who gathered to find out what happened to her.
0: Some of the footage, when you look at it, you just see people and they're looking on at what happened and they're just their faces say it all. Right. You, You can't like look at that and not feel kind of how they must have felt
1: a little bit Right, exactly it's the kind of scene that you would expect from a, a much larger number of casualties but it was this many people gathered for one person because that's uh the kind of impact she had on the people around her exactly
0: at this point i think it's a really important thing to point out that uh this was not a hate crime i said she had several ex-girlfriends she was a gay woman but this is not a hate crime against her four her sexuality. This is a crime that had everything to do with revenge and robbery of the American Eagle store. So I uh, just want to be clear on that, that this is a no way a hate crime.
1: No. And a hate crime is a shitty motive, but we've got other shitty motives here.
0: Several interviews that people gave about her said that she had this premonition that she was going to die young and it wasn't a specific way that Ashley thought she was going to die. It was just throughout her life. She just always felt that she wasn't going to be here for a long time. She didn't have any kind of like drug issues. It wasn't any kind of alcohol issues. It wasn't anything like
1: that. It was just this feeling that she had. I had a friend who had that. Really? Yeah, I had a friend um, who I knew for a couple of years in Santa Barbara and I actually don't know her anymore, maybe maybe she did die, um <laughs> but she had this thing where she was like, "I just don't feel like I'm gonna live past my thirties oh, yeah, she's like, I don't know why I'm like, did one of one of your parents die young? No they're both alive. I just have this really strong feeling like I'm not going to live past my thirties so- oh what an interesting yeah, it was interesting. We never really went into it at that point in my life, I wasn't the kind of person who would have delved further now I'd take out my like voice recorder and be like, all right, repeat <laughs> that whole thing that you just said uh- um, but at that point I didn't delve deeper. I was just like, oh, that's odd, but Yeah, she was quite convinced.
0: Yeah, Ashley was absolutely convinced. And her friends and family sort of chalked it up to her being kind of dramatic, as you might. You know, oh, what are you doing? What are you talking about? You're fine. You're not going to die young. And that's where they left it. And it never really became anything. But it was always something that was a concern for her. It was always something that was in the back of her mind. And as I said, you know, she was 31 years old when she was murdered. So she was correct in a really horrible way outside of her life with, you know, just being like, you know, a couple ex-girlfriends, her love life was a little rocky. It wasn't terrible. I mean, it was like basically any single-ish 31-year-old. Right. Ups and downs. Yeah. You know, it's like nothing so tragic is happening, but like, you know, you're not like on the upswing either. You're just kind of doing your thing. Other than that, her life was really tracking. It was going well and she had a good job. She was the assistant manager at the American Eagle store in Fort Worth. She was kind of just like kicking ass and taking names. And her employees that worked under her were like obsessed with her. Like they loved her. She referred to them as her kids. And she was sort of seen as like the store mom. (laughs) She had a lot of respect from her manager and a lot of respect
1: from the people who worked as her employees. And interestingly, she had the ambition to move into the area of loss prevention. That's right. And and for anyone who's ever worked loss prevention, you have to be kind of a badass to work loss prevention. It is not for the weak and people who break easily. It's for people who are tough minded and have really good bullshit detectors. (laughs) And she had a real damn good bullshit detector. Yeah. She was just an observant person, which you have to be in things like loss prevention where your job is to observe people so you know she had a lot of those kinds of skills but again like you said she was just loved by people she had good common sense she was responsible yeah and like you said the employees thought of her as store mom yeah store mom
0: and the store manager his name was chris carvey and he said that everybody loved her because she was invested in everyone
1: Oh, that's a wonderful thing to hear. Yeah. means like, I mean, like you really make an effort to like help people and engage with their lives. And that's beautiful. More of her. Yeah. Less of the assholes who killed her.
0: Speaking of. Yeah. So that's a little bit about Ashley and who she was. Really hyper focused on her career like because things were going great. Right. So mm-hmm. Carter Cervantes and David Mallory, they are the people who murdered Ashley. Mm hmm. Carter Carol Cervantes, which was, by the way,
1: does not roll off the tongue. Carter Carol doesn't roll off the tongue. Carter is a girl, by the way. I am not a huge fan of giving people feedback about their names because I think (laughs) it's a very personal, private thing. And obviously nobody wants to hear my opinions about shit like that. But Carter Carol, Carter Carol, that's the name of this beautiful child, Carter, Carter Carol.
0: And I mean, I think that might have fucked her up a little bit. Yeah, well, something did. Carter Carol Cervantes was described as a smart, driven, and really pretty. Like really super pretty. Like she's so
1: pretty, you guys. So, so, so pretty. She's really gorgeous. You know... She's one of those faces that, you know, when you put it in the right light with the right makeup, she's actually very pretty.
0: (laughs) That's a lot of people.
1: (laughs) Like so many people. But
0: she was really driven and she kind of had these plans of where she wanted to go in life. She had gotten a college degree in Amarillo. She was from a family that worked hard and they taught her to work hard. She was really serious about Moving forward in her career, she knocked out college and did great. While she was in college, she had gotten a job working at American Eagle. She was working part-time, as you do when you're a student.
1: And when she graduated, she became full-time. And she had a lot of workmates who said a lot of good things about her. Obviously her intelligence was well praised and she clearly was intelligent when you hear her talk, you know, she puts a sentence together very clearly.
0: She was like book smart, not street smart. I let's be very clear
1: on that. <laughs> that is exactly right. I would agree with that and that becomes clear later when she's like plans the world's most obvious murder but anyway um but they called her things like deep yeah that she saw things more clearly than other people Uh, she was observant insightful that she could read people very well
0: yeah exactly
1: kind of like a sociopath sociopath red flag (laughs) exactly well you know what those things aren't necessarily red flags like intelligent deep sees things more clearly observant insightful like usually when you look at that list of things you're like wow that's a great person that's a
0: good quality to have yeah and, and when you combine all of those qualities you're like dude this person we just won the lottery like this is going to be a great employee mm-hmm. not so much
1: not so much especially where in her brain where empathy and humanity should be there's just like an empty hole it's yeah. like a dead hamster
0: <laughs> exactly Well, she met this combination of American Eagle Outfitters in Texas. It's like the perfect storm
1: of the worst possible outcome. Terrible combinations of personalities. Oh,
0: God. Well, I said that she was in Amarillo, right? And so this is where she met her soon to be live in boyfriend, Clarence David Mallory, who is also known as David Mallory. You mean he didn't want to go by Clarence? It didn't want to seem to go by Clarence, but apparently it's like an interchangeable thing, which has a little uh, something we'll get to a little later. But we refer to him as both Clarence, David Mallory and David Mallory, because that's how he's referred to in a lot of our sources. David Mallory was a stockroom employee at the store in Amarillo. When they met, she was like, oh, my God. And when He met her. He was like, oh, my God. And they were like, she's the one. They were so hot and bothered for each other that they just kind of became this like very tunnel visioned type of relationship where it was like, they were the moon and the stars
1: for each other. What is this thing about people in retail (laughs) or in like, I don't know, grocery stores meeting each other and then getting all these like murder plans. Like that was last week, dude. Like it's a thing that people do now. Yeah. The
0: workplace you spend the most of your time there. Right. So Mm -hmm. for Clarence, David Mallory and Carter Carol Cervantes, they were like down with the sickness with each other. She was 25 and he was 19 when they met.
1: A May, December romance. Aww. Aww. How spectacular. The the sort of like early life and end of life romance. (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah. Well, not really a little bit of a, interesting age difference usually it's the the boy and the girl or the other way around when it comes to age differences but you know it's not necessarily unusual i suppose
0: well when you think about too that generally speaking in general terms i know this isn't this case for every single person but usually girls at that age are a little more mature than a guy who's six years her junior yeah and so she's kind of looking maybe for something a little bit more serious at this point or you know is maybe looking to begin something that could go
1: somewhere with somebody. And you know, he's barely out of high school. Yeah, he's a fetus. He's a baby, he's 19.
0: Yeah, and apparently they were just like,
1: hmm yeah, it
0: was mm-hmm. like, bow, chicka, bow, wow.
1: Oh, sexy, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. I don't know what happened in that storeroom clip. <laughs> I don't know.
1: She got a chance to work uh, as an assistant manager. That's a pretty big step up. Um, yeah. It's a big step up in responsibility it's a step up in terms of obviously money as well, but like once you start going into management much as with Ashley, you know, she discovered that, you know, once you get into management, then you can move into other parts of an organization. And then once you're off the sales floor, you start to be able to really move around within an organization. And the first step there is going like assistant manager manager, and then you go into corporate. That's where the money is, right? Once you get into corporate. And so moving up into assistant manager is a big deal, but it, required her to move to Abilene, a few hours away from the store where she met David Mallory. Oh. Uh.
0: Well, fortunately for their romance, David Mallory put in for a transfer, and he went with her to the news. <laughs> <story>. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. He was, like, following along, just riding her coattails all the way to Abilene, He was obviously young. He didn't really have a game
1: plan. And so... Why wouldn't you follow? Like, she's got her shit together. Yeah. She's kind of his meal ticket at that point. Yeah. You like hook your... What is it? Hook your wagon to a star? (laughs) Such a star. Like a fizzled out light bulb.
0: So now they're in Abilene and David and Carter are living together. Because she's a manager at this point, even though she's an assistant manager, she's still in management and he is a stockroom clerk. And so... The two are kind of forbidden. It's like the forbidden fruit must be tasted. And so they had to keep it real hush hush. Mm -hmm, Deal. Yeah. They're not supposed to be dating like a higher level employee isn't supposed to be dating, you know, a lower level employee. And in this case, a pretty low level human. (laughs) It's just
1: also against the American Eagle Outfitters company policy specifically. And that's very standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like that's standard, because I mean, just think of the complications. And, you know, there are situations where, you know, for example, perhaps the person in the superior position might, I don't know, falsify records or do things to benefit. Bite your
0: tongue. What kind of person would do
1: such a thing, Sally? I know whoever
0: would clutch my pearls. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's true. She definitely was the one who was kind of wearing the pants, so to speak, mm-hmm. in this. And he had very, very little ambition when it came to work or work ethic. He definitely had some ambition when it came to robbing and stealing and killing, but just not really so much around the whole work thing. That was a little pesky. Oh, it's just
1: so much work to work. And ironically, she in it. It is just so much work to work. I mean, can't someone just give me money? Why do I have to work for money? She had the work ethic of the two of them. And so when you like average them out, it's just mediocre as a pair. That's the
0: exact right way to describe them.
1: It's just math.
0: Like, oh, you know, how would you describe Carter and David combined? Mediocre. And so you're right. Together they were basically just mediocre. Mm -hmm. Obviously it made it pretty clear that David was a total loser. And despite her loser boyfriend being a loser, Carter actually was really growing in this job in Abilene. David, however, eh, not so much. Kind of just the dead weight. (laughs) At this point, you know, she's fucking dick whipped by this guy. He's like her little boy toy. So we can only assume that because she was more successful with him in the career that he started to just miss a lot of work because he could. And that's exactly what he started to do. And because he did that and he's a fuck nut, he got fired. Yeah, imagine that. That's what happens. You don't call, you don't show. They're going to fire you. That's the way it
1: goes. <laughs> but he had a safety net, dude. He knew that if he got fired, he could just fall into Carter's lap. Quite literally.
0: Yeah, and she was doing all right. Like She was making some decent money, but money got tight. It's always nicer to have two
1: incomes. And so since he got fired, of course, you know, their finances took a hit. And so because the money was starting to dry up, Carter, being the solution-oriented genius that she was, devised a plan for David to be able to get a job at her store, her American Eagle Outfit store in Fort Worth, the one that she was now the assistant manager at.
0: Yes, because she had transferred from Abilene To the Fort Worth, Texas. She's, this is her
1: third store. So she's climbing the ranks. And he, of course, had been fired. Now, he had been fired and there had been a note put in his file that says, don't rehire. (laughs) When a former employer gets contacted by someone who's trying to hire you, they're allowed to say, basically, would you rehire this person? Mm hmm. That's one of the sort of few legal questions that you're kind of allowed to ask and answer. And so for him, it would have been no. So she quietly went in and was able to access his personnel file in the American Eagle administrative system, computer system. And she changed a couple of little things. She removed the part that said that he could not be rehired. She changed a couple of his numbers in his social security number. So he was not even in their records, the same person anymore. And so he was able to get hired in the Fort Worth store.
0: Yeah. She even went so far as to kind of switch his name around a little.
1: Oh, how clever.
0: Carter was very proactive in this way. She was. I mean, if only she had used her genius for something that was more constructive than killing
1: another person you know what with her it's just solutions across the board it's like she is water and she is just flowing around every obstacle it's like social security number no problem that's going to transpose a few little numbers there. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, his name is recognizable. Let's just change the first and last name around. That's no big deal. Nobody no big deal. Yeah. I mean, nobody's going to catch this. and It certainly isn't illegal. No, it
0: it is. is as a disclaimer. It is incredibly illegal. Please don't ever do this. If you're listening and thinking about doing this, don't ever do this. It's just it's not good.
1: And the other thing to remember is that corporations have thought about this. It is often very easy to track who is logged in what terminal this information is being accessed at you can then see who was working at the time sometimes you can even log okay this happened at 3:36 p.m. you get on your Security camera, and you see that, you know, Jane was on the computer at 3 36 p.m., you know, it's very easy to track this thing internally. So it was pretty stupid of her. And for corporations, it's really important for them to be able to track who makes changes to their systems and to their data. And so, of course, that's trackable, dumbass. Yeah.
0: In this particular case, the loophole that happened was uh, the manager, Chris Carvey, he had been out on a medical leave. At this time, Carter had kind of stepped in and he wasn't there and it was kind of unclear as to why Ashley wasn't really part of this particular process. It seemed like they divided their shifts as far as who was managing what and so maybe that's where that kind of technicality came in. Either way, Ashley wasn't really involved in that and Chris Carvey was out on a medical leave and so it made it very easy for Carter to sort of get around the system because, well, there wasn't really anybody to keep an eye out for her. She's, kind of onboarded her loser boyfriend back into working in the stock room. And Carter was really starting to see the amounts of money that were coming in.
1: Just straight up cash, just rolling in.
0: Yeah. Well, this isn't even credit card stuff. This is, we're talking cash, cash money. She had a lot of access to stuff. She had a lot of ideas and she really started to come up with some plans
1: and this is where for me it gets particularly interesting because there's this boundary that most of us won't cross. Right. But <laughs> right. she's just like getting closer and closer to it. That like stepping into a criminal activity. She hasn't quite gotten there yet. I mean, she kind of has with like the falsification of David's information, but like you could almost like, you would probably just get fired for that. You wouldn't get like prosecuted for it, but she's getting closer to some, some big red lines now
0: falsification. Yes. But like, it hasn't been theft at this point, but it's going to be because as she's seeing these patterns in the store, when these large amounts of cash are coming in, it's like kind of cyclical, right? There's holidays. There are promotions. Texas has a no tax weekend from time to time and they have back to school weekend when back to school weekend happened to happen in August of 2014. Carter was like light bulb on in the brain, schedules herself to close. And at this point, she leaves the store and she leaves the back door unlocked. A little later, David walks in, and
1: boosts $18,000 from the safe. The surveillance footage of this is really interesting. It's epic. Because it is just, it is so confident. And, <laughs> and the confidence itself is stupid. <laughs> it really is. You have to put yourself, I mean, if you want to be a master criminal, you kind of have to put yourself in the police's shoes and think when they look at this, footage they have to see something that is completely the opposite to me so i should make myself if i'm thin i should make myself fat right if i know the store i should make it look like i don't know the store like rummage around a little bit don't go directly to the safe open it take (laughs) out the money and leave the person in the surveillance footage walked directly through the store they maneuvered around things in the store the way you would if you'd been in there many times yeah they walked directly to the safe. They opened the safe. They took the money and they walked out. It was obviously planned. If it had been more of a like, you know, the way that like if a robber comes into a house, but they're looking for something particular, they try to hide it by rummaging around a little bit.
0: Yeah. you got to make it look like it's been ransacked.
1: Yeah. Put a little freaking effort into it. A little imagination. A little creativity. Now, what do you always say? Put your back into it. Put your back into it. Throw some things around. Maybe. I don't know. Like, yeah, not go for, for a shit. display. No, exactly. Not, yeah, at the very least. Come like on, David. Spitefully. But he's lazy. So he's just like, I'm going to do the bare minimum. Ugh, it's just so hard to walk <laughs> I just in have a to walk to line. the same. God, I don't want to take any extra steps. Steps are so hard.
0: Exactly. Oh my God, why do I have to do this? God, I do so much for you, Carter.
1: Ugh. Anyway, so David sucks. And he robs the... American Eagle, with the assistance of Carter, who so helpfully leaves the back door unlocked. Now, that's the kind of thing you could easily excuse. You could be like, oh my God, how did I forget to do that? That's insane. I can't believe I forgot to lock the door. It's not like you left the safe open. Like most people can understand forgetting to lock a door. I had my hands full and I dropped my keys and I remember I picked up my keys and then I just turned and I just walked away. And you can make it sound like something that anybody could do.
0: Yes. You know, we said that Carter had set this whole thing up right in the weeks before when she was starting to kind of put this plan together and having seen all of the patterns that were going on with the store and everything. As a manager, this is partially why a manager isn't supposed to date a person who is in like the stockroom or something like that, because the person in the stockroom isn't supposed to be privy to the information that a manager has. It's like, think about a job that you've had where you don't necessarily understand why the manager is making the decision that they're making. There's a lot more moving parts than you realize, but because you don't have a management position, you're not gonna know what those moving parts are, right? David, he didn't need to know, however, because Carter couldn't keep her fucking trap shut David was now privy to all of this information. He now knew like the copious amounts of money that were in there. He knew that when it was happening and how much access and how much authority his girlfriend had. And so that's how this whole thing happened. And that's how he was so enticed to go in there and commit this robbery because he knew specifically like, yeah, it was a risk, but he also knew that there was gonna be a pretty big payoff. And that particular night, she scheduled herself to close. And so he knew exactly what the take was going to be. You know, he knew when he went in there, it wasn't going to be five grand. It was going to be 18 grand. And that's pretty much what it was just under that, that he walked away with that night. It's not a bad take. It's not a bad take. I mean, for the moment, if you're talking about instant gratification, $18,000, yeah. I mean, it's it's a nice chunk. But what are you going to do... When you get fired and you can't get a job, how far is 18 grand going to take you? Really? That's right.
1: Yeah, this is very true. And then the very next morning, of course, Ashley Harris, the morning manager, she comes in and the safe is empty (sighs) and open. And she realizes that the store has been robbed.
0: Yeah, she's like, why is the safe open and empty? Oh my God. And Ashley being a smart girl, she goes. And as you do, you check the camera you look at the tapes she watched this crime unfold she watched carter leave in the time in between she sees this person walk in she sees this person walk over to the safe and she sees them take it out and then she sees them leave and she realizes in that moment that it had to have been carter who was at fault because i mean how else could she not be involved right like and she's a million percent sure that this is david on tape and At this point, you know, she's an honest kind of an employee. She is really good at her job and she makes a report. She calls 911. She alerts the corporate office. She alerts her store manager, Chris Carvey, and lets them all know that there was
1: around $18,000 now missing from the store. And then they started, of course, an internal investigation. So Ashley and the store manager, Chris, Sat down and watched the surveillance video together and agreed on what Ashley had guessed had happened. They agreed that that was probably what had happened. They talked to Carter, who was pretty nonchalant about the whole mm-hmm. thing and denied knowing anything. Yeah.
0: I mean, at this point, when you have somebody like that and it's a shift that ends, the store closes, there's no activity, and then another manager opens the next day, like, how do you justify this
1: if you're Carter? How do you not know something? And she, of course, did. And they knew it. American Eagle knew it. And so she was suspended Mm -hmm. from her job. And then eventually she and David Mallory were fired after they'd been questioned. There was no actual specific proof Mm -hmm. that they were involved, but there was just too much circumstantial evidence. There was the back door left unlocked. And she actually admitted to Chris Carvey. That she had, you know, maybe possibly kind of left the back door unlocked.
0: Yeah. And that was kind of where that all stalled out because mm-hmm. they didn't have proof. Just because you have a gut instinct and your eyes are telling you this, well, he was in a disguise, like he had a, a mask on. Carter may or may not have left the back door open. It was all really obvious that they were both involved,
1: but it wasn't a provable thing. And her attitude was that. What's the big deal? Because that loss should be covered by insurance. I mean, what a thing to say. She was basically saying, who cares? I mean, if I left the back door open, like, what's the big deal? It's covered by insurance anyway. Why is everyone freaking out?
0: And as though insurance is just such an easy thing to deal with anyway. First of all, there's a whole lot of moving parts that are going to have to happen. There's going to need to be an investigation investigation. I mean, you're high if you think that they're not going to investigate this. So either way, all roads are going to lead back to you eventually. They're going to track it down. They're going to figure it out. But all of this takes time and it takes resources and it's more of a drain on the company. So
1: it's not $18,000 that they lose. No, hundreds of thousand dollars. There's like lawyers involved. You got to pay those mofos. We love you, mofos. But yeah.
0: Exactly. And so just because, oh, insurance will pay it out. It's not like insurance, you make a quick call to your state farm agent and you're like, hey, somebody took $18,000 and somebody writes you a check right then and there. There's a whole process to it. Mm -hmm. And so because she just didn't really seem to give a shit about it. And with all of the circumstantial
1: evidence, they were like, "Mm, you're fired. And that inability to accept responsibility was really kind of what led to the firing. But she felt that Harris was behind her suspension, that Ashley Harris was really behind that. And I mean, she was in the sense that she did her freaking job. She turned the wheels that needed to be turned. But was it Ashley's fault that Carter plotted to rob a store and got caught? I mean, well, exactly. Honestly, like, why would you think that she
0: wouldn't do that? First of all, if she wasn't involved in this
1: She doesn't owe you anything, Carter. If she's not involved in this and she doesn't report it, then she is involved in it and she's complicit too. Exactly. Oh my God. You know, it's just like the dumbness here. (sighs) At this point, you know, that criminal investigation into the theft in August, that $18,000 that stalled. The detectives had tried to contact uh, Carter and David and were just not able to get in contact with them. And so the whole thing just kind of stalled.
0: Yeah, it stalled out. And so that was pretty much it. And as far as David and Carter, they're both shit canned at this point, rightly so. And they're angry.
1: Yeah, they're all vengey now.
0: Very vengey and like stewing in their own vengeful juices until November
1: of 2014 and Black Friday. Yep, Black Friday. And I can imagine them sort of, passing their anger back and forth to each other. It's like, we got fired. Doesn't it suck? What a bitch. Ah, she Uh fired you. She fired you too. Ah, like they both had the same experience of being fired. I mean, rightly, as Keita said, but you know, I can imagine them egging each other on in this this angry way about who was responsible for their lives going to hell. It's one person and it's Ashley Harris. It couldn't be them. It couldn't be us. We can't be responsible for our own actions. It
0: certainly wasn't our shitty plot. And our stupid actions.
1: Watertight plot. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. If you're like the Titanic and an iceberg, it's watertight.
1: (laughs) That kind of watertight. Yeah, exactly, dude. Well, Laskita said this takes us up to Black Friday, 2014, which uh, is the eve of the murder. So Ashley got home in the early morning hours. She worked a really late shift. So her shift started at about 7 p.m., And then it ended at 3 a.m. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. Brutal shift. That is a brutal shift. And people usually at that hour tend to not necessarily be the friendliest as well. (laughs) You should forgive them for that because that's a brutal hour. It is. Absolutely. After work, one of her friends, who is also her neighbor, uh, named Alexis Torres, uh, she came over for about an hour. She had looked after Ashley's dog, Nala. Nala was a sweet golden retriever oh, so cute and then alexis left at about 4 40 a.m yeah and as far as we know alexis this good friend of ashley was the last person to see her alive just hours before she was murdered Imagine what a horrible thing to hold in your heart for the rest of your life that you were the last person to see someone alive.
0: Yeah, because when Alexis left, you know, around whatever the late portion of the 4 a.m. hour, it was sometime between then and 7.30
1: a.m. that Ashley was murdered. And the way that this all went down, Carter and David went to Ashley's apartment. They drove in Carter's Black Infinity. They parked outside and then they picked the lock of her apartment, which they'd actually been practicing. Mm -hmm. They had a book on it. They caught her by surprise, as you would expect. Ashley, however, was not a little retiring wallflower and and she was strong. She put up a pretty big fight as best she could.
0: She was stocky and like she looked like she was in pretty good shape. Definitely looked very strong
1: right and carter and david both were not big people they were both very sort of slim one might say scrawny (laughs) yeah ashley looked like she could have kind of snapped them both in half so they ended up really having to beat the crap out of her to subdue her yeah they ended up pistol whipping her which and evidence was found in her autopsy for this like you know star-shaped injuries to her yeah her scalp with bruising around it which is very typical of pistol-whipping injuries, they also bound her hands and her feet. So her feet were bound together and her hands were bound behind her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with duct tape.
0: Yeah, so they bound her up with the duct tape on both her hands and her feet. They beat her afterwards, continued the beating, in addition to the pistol-whipping. They strangled her, and then they cut her throat. This was horrifying, horrifying
1: multiple traumatic injuries horrible way to die and yeah and the people who investigated her death you know the coroner um the detectives said it was a really awful way to die like it wasn't necessarily you know it didn't last for hours but the minutes that she did die in that when she was dying were horrible for her she was in terrifying mortal fear as you can imagine she was in horrific pain and She knew these people and she knew what they were going to do probably pretty damn quickly.
0: As though that wasn't enough, they took it a step further. And Carter and David at this point somehow found some rubbing alcohol in Ashley's apartment. They sprayed it around, dumped it in the closet. They dumped it all over her bed and they poured it on Ashley's body. Rubbing alcohol is flammable. They... Lit a match and they set all of those things on fire, including Ashley.
1: All those different points, which started very quickly.
0: Yeah, they were just trying to accelerate it and hide evidence. When you start a fire, I
1: have to imagine that you're trying to cover up evidence. Yeah, that's usually why fires are started. So after the murder, Cutter and David hooked it out of there and they drove off in the infinity. The downstairs neighbor of Ashley Harris had heard some thumping and bumping and like a scream and what he described as heavy breathing. That's some shitty insulation there. If you can hear breathing upstairs, but and the other thing that happened was his carbon monoxide alarm went off in his apartment. And then in his bathroom, water started to leak from the ceiling of his bathroom. And he realized pretty quickly, okay, CO2 alarm screaming upstairs water coming through, there's probably a fire. So he called 911 and he reported this and very quickly they put out the fire. And once they did that and they investigated, they realized very quickly that it was more than just a fire, that it was also a murder scene.
0: When they walked in there to extinguish the flames, like thankfully her sprinkler system had done a really good job of keeping the
1: flames down. Not a lot of fire damage. I mean, from the, the photo's You don't see a ton of blackened areas inside the house.
0: It's kind of the points where the alcohol had been poured, where the initial fires had actually been started. Those had a lot of damage. But as far as like the rest of the house, it didn't really seem to have that much in the way of fire damage. But when the firefighters had gone into the apartment, they were certainly not expecting what they found. I mean, I think when you have that job, you probably kind of expect that there may be a victim, but certainly not one that's been bound at the hands and the feet and trauma to her face and neck as she did. And so the firefighters were pretty traumatized by that discovery because that certainly is not what anybody's expecting to walk into. And even weirder than all of this was that Ashley's wallet had been found in her bathroom. It was like just sitting on the sink. It was open, but didn't appear to be missing anything like credit cards, money, all the things that live in a wallet were all still there. And so they were kind of like, well, if this is here and her wallet's not missing, then obviously this wasn't a robbery. Like what, what gives what's going on? Well, they couldn't find her keys to the apartment. They couldn't find her keys to the car. They were all in one big key ring. And of course, these keys also held the keys to the mall and to American Eagle
1: Outfitters, the store where Ashley worked. Amazing that the only thing missing were the keys to the store. Again, (sighs) dumb, dumb, dumb. Make it look like a robbery. Smash (laughs) some shit. Take some shit. Take the wallet. Take some jewelry. Don't take the one thing that will lead the police directly to you i mean do please because that means you'll get arrested because you're stupid but like also if you're (laughs) if you're trying to be successful at this like think for one second one maybe maybe just give it a little thought give it some thought well the news of all of this had
0: spread really quickly her friends and some of the people that she worked with at American Eagle were in the parking lot. People were trying to get a hold of Ashley. They
1: were texting, they were calling. And of course she wasn't answering. It's worth noting at this point that people who were contacting the police were saying, what's up with Ashley, like her apartment burned. And they, they were getting sort of like, she's not available. Mm-hmm. Right now. Yeah. They,
0: they weren't confirming anything because they couldn't at this point. I mean, Yes, they found a body in her apartment. I mean, was it her or they didn't know at that point? I mean, this is all happening in a pretty short succession of time. So people are just kind of sitting here watching, sort of horrified from the parking lot. And then the coroner pulls up and people really put two and two together at this point and realized kind of before it had been confirmed that somebody had died in there. Nobody was able to get a hold of Ashley. It was probably Ashley, but they didn't know what had happened just yet.
1: So at this point, once the smoke clears and the firefighters go in and they see that there's obviously something suspicious going on, I mean, somebody's dead with their hands and feet bound. They probably didn't do it to themselves. It's likely that that wasn't self inflicted. So now enters homicide detective Sidio, who works in Texas, and he was one of the investigating officers. Very quickly, it became obvious to him and his fellow investigators that there was something happening here with Carter Cervantes and the connection was the black infinity. It's a noticeable car. It's not like a a white Camry. Everyone, if you want to escape, notice just (laughs) buy a white Camry, like maybe, maybe like 1998 to like 2004, the most boring years.
0: So she takes a sporty little number that she's driving. People at the apartment complex had seen a black infinity leaving the apartment complex around 7.30 a.m. And this was after hearing that prolonged loud scream, followed by a thud, labored breathing, and the door slamming to Ashley Harris's apartment. And it took the detectives about four seconds to figure (laughs) out that... Carter owned a car that looked just like that. In addition to the neighbor who had called 911 because the water was leaking into his apartment, several other residents of the apartment complex had seen the same car driving out around that time. So we have multiple eyewitnesses at this point saying there was a black Infinity that was parked next to Ashley's truck. (laughs) Like if you're going to also if you're going to do this, like maybe don't park right next to the
1: person (laughs) who you're murdering. Just saying like that's just oh they're so bad they're so bad interestingly one of the neighbors who did give a really clear description of the vehicle had been a former police officer Mm -hmm. and so he was able to not only give a description of it but pretty accurately say like the model as well it was like a g5 or i don't know some g35 there we go yeah that was the exact make and model that carter drove So the day went on and the investigation, you know, commenced and they started to find out more information about uh, Ashley, what she did, who she worked with, who would be likely to have it in for her. And because of this connection with the Infinity, uh, Detective CDO decided the very next morning uh, he couldn't sleep and it was about 4 a.m. And he decided to head to Carter and David's apartment and just kind of park down the street and see what he could see. Yeah, he was doing like a little recon mission. A recon mission, exactly. A little Sally Forth, if you will. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, after they kind of figured out, like you were saying, like who could possibly have done something like this and figuring out like so many people saying that there was this black car and putting two and two together and realizing that this was a former coworker of hers. They just thought, you know what, let's go check it out. And so when James Dio went and he staked it out, he sat in his car for hours waiting for them to come out because he was like, he just had that hunch about it. And he's like, this has to be some kind of a connection.
1: The affinity's just sitting in the driveway at this point, right? Yeah, they have an apartment. It's parked in their driveway. It's like reversed in. So he's just watching it. And then at about 7.30 in the morning... The lights flash one time the way that they do when you unlock it with a little remote. Mm -hmm. And who who should get in but David and Carter. (gasps) Time to go for a little ride. Yeah, so early. Just before everybody's up, imagine that. Rise and shine. And so Detective Cideo is like, nothing good is happening here. So he quietly just kind of pulls out behind them and tails them. And where do they go? They go to the mall.
0: Freaking mall. Where do you go when there's nothing to do and it's 7.30 a.m.? You go to a closed
1: mall. And a murder happened the former freaking day. Yeah, totally normal. Mm -hmm. Normal stuff. Yeah, normal stuff. Normal people things. So they drive around a little bit around the mall. Again, Detective Sidio is watching this whole thing, right? And he kind of drives around and parks... And then Carter gets out and she goes into the mall entrance. And if you've ever been to a mall before opening time, the doors to the mall itself are open, but all of the like, security doors are down and there's like just nobody there. And just like the managers are coming in all bleary eyed. And there's like, you know, security people walking around, but it's mostly deserted. And that was the vibe at the mall at the time. So David parks, Carter gets out. She's got some keys on her can't imagine where she got those from. Where did that come from? That looks
0: just like the set that's missing from Ashley's apartment, Carter.
1: Imagine. Now, what Carter doesn't know is she walks into the mall and walks towards the American Eagle Outfitters store where she's anticipating being able to open the door, open the grill, go in, the security grill, go in and get the big freaking Black Friday take. That is her goal.
0: Yeah. There was an estimation that that Black Friday haul was was somewhere between forty dollars and $50,000.
1: Holy cannoli. Yeah, it was a big haul. It's a big chunk of change. But what Carter doesn't know is that, of course, because the keys were missing, that the store manager has changed the lock.
0: I love this move so, so much. Oh,
1: so subtle. I feel
0: like Chris Carvey.
1: I had a little crush, mm, I gotta say.
0: It was just, it was such a fast action that they took it was so quick thinking a lot of people might not necessarily put the two and two together and go I've got to change these locks you know, thankfully they realized that these keys were missing pretty quickly and thankfully everybody was on their a-game and they were like nope we're changing these locks and so I mean I really have to hand it to how fast they acted on this and how quickly that they had gotten these locks changed because it was the day
1: of that Ashley's body was discovered that those locks were handled. That's right. And then the very next morning at around sort of 745, 8 o'clock, we've got Carter walking through the mall. and Now we've got security camera footage, which is fascinating because you can see like she's got her hood up. You can't see who she is from the footage. Right. You can see it's a person a sort of smallish person, but hoods up. You can't see the face. It's even hard to tell if it's a male or a female yeah.
0: and in the way the angle of the camera is too. It you can tell that it's like somebody who's kind of petite, but it's yeah. a baggy kind
1: of outfit. Yeah, it's like a hoodie, a sweaty pants, and stuff like that.
0: Exactly. But yeah, I mean, Carter's like, you know, actively open this lock and she's unable,
1: just so incredibly unsuccessful and so unsuccessful. <sighs> but it's fast. It's like her realization the footage is great she walks towards the door and it's the lock is down low so she kind of squats down or kneels down and immediately inserts the key into the lock and realizes it's incorrect or takes the lock in her hand or looks at it and then immediately realizes it's a new one and she stands up and walks away yeah it's instant there's no like what there's no grab and pull there's no like oh why doesn't it work she's like oh shit Mm -hmm. i've been found out the locks have been changed and that right there that realization of i'm fucked and the quickness with which she walks away oh it just warmed my heart keto i
0: know the little cockles of my
1: heart were singing it was Mm -hmm. like a giant fuck you carter from aeo it was it really was (laughs) and you know watching her sort of scurry away at that point I wonder if she knew how fucked she was at that point. You have
0: to kind of think, like, she seems like a fairly... I mean, what people say, you know, she seemed like a fairly smart cookie, right? Like, so, Mm -hmm. you know, she probably kind of knew that something was on to her, but she probably didn't think that she was as fucked as she was.
1: But she certainly was.
0: Yeah, and so after this, though, she gets caught on several different cameras, like, walking away from the mall after this epic failure of trying to open the lock. But... At this point, Carter has changed her clothes from these baggy sweatpants and a hoodie
1: into a pair of hot pink scrubs. Like she's like a dental assistant or like a vet or like, <laughs> like a vet.
0: I was thinking that too. I'm yeah. like, what what are you doing? Like a vet tech. Yeah, but from there, she walked like to over two miles back to her apartment. Now remember, where's David? David's still sitting in the infinity in the parking lot,
1: <laughs> like a schmuck.
0: Yeah. And he's just sitting there going like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Detective Sadio had actually talked with David in the parking lot.
1: And I love that. Can you imagine walking up? Knock, knock, knock. Yeah. Roll down the window.
0: Hello. Hi. You know, he's talking to David and, you know, they're having a little convo about what's going on. Why is he there at this hour? And David's reply at this point is that his girlfriend works for Arab Postal. And she's in there doing some paperwork. And, oh, who's your girlfriend? Oh, it's Carter Cervantes. And so at Mm -hmm. this point, like the detectives are like, we smell bullshit on this. And they ask David Mallory for his license. You know, as cops do, it's a normal standard operating procedure. You know, they're going to say like, hey, like, do you have any ID? Well, he did not have ID with him.
1: He Mm, claims if you're driving the car, you're supposed to have a license to prove that you are able to drive a
0: car. Exactly. And so because he does not have this license, detectives are able to arrest him, which is just it's like poetic to me. When I heard that, I was like, "Ah, please continue. This is like music to my ears,
1: isn't it? And this is so common too. like when you are investigating somebody for a serious crime sometimes the first goal is just kind of getting them. Yeah. And once you've got them, you can kind of get them further. And so, you know, having him come in for the missing license was just like, let's get him the fuck off the street and then we'll catch him proper when we start talking to him and his dumb ass is going to yeah, put himself in jail. Exactly.
0: And so, I mean, I guess, you know, when they took him in, you know, and they started talking with him, they kind of were able to to prod him a little bit, but mm-hmm. After he was arrested for this, when the cops looked in the car under the driver's seat was a loaded nine millimeter. Not
1: suspicious. Not suspicious at all.
0: No, not at all. No. And it even had like a round that was like in the chamber, which ready to be shot. mm, Yeah. So Detective Sadio was like, uh, well, this basically means that something was going to happen, like a robbery was going to happen.
1: It's also incredibly unsafe.
0: You don't do that. That's not, I don't know. I don't shoot guns. I don't like guns personally. I mean, I know that they exist and everything when people have them, but I'm not a fan. And so, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs of the ways that guns work, but I'm pretty sure that's not proper.
1: That, that's not how it works. That's not what you should do with your weapon. No, don't keep it. Don't keep like a bullet in the chamber, ready to be shot out of the chamber. That's just like <laughs> stupid, but yeah. that wasn't the only weird, dumb thing. Like, he was wearing this, it looked like kind of like a cap. Like a beanie, kind of. Oh, like a beanie. And you know how sometimes beanies have like kind of rolled up mm-hmm. edges that kind of you get like a, get a roll, right? Yeah, like a little brim. And he was still wearing it when he was arrested. And so the, the police were like, what, what do you got there on your head? And he rolled it down and it wasn't a cap at all. But a ski a mask. Fuck, fucking ski mask. Brilliant, David. Totally normal thing to do. Incredibly normal to wear a ski mask. You know, I couldn't find my cap. So I just took out my ski mask. I just
0: have a ski mask and a loaded fucking nine millimeter under my seat. What's wrong with that? No license.
1: Yeah, Texas, like it's known for its chilly weather. Actually, no, this year it has been. So I shouldn't be sarcastic, but like. (laughs) Be sarcastic, please. I'm "I'm lying. It's how we roll. But anyway, yeah, at this point, they're just like, dude, you're so in the shit. And they looked in the car again. They found that that nine millimeter, you know, the ski mask, They just had all these pieces coming together.
0: Yeah. And so Carter books it back to the house. David's arrested. Infinity's impounded and being gone through. When Carter got back to the house a little later that day, uh, she was taken in for some questioning as, you know, these detectives are smart. They're closing in. They're figuring it out. They bring her in and they have her come down to the station and she's still wearing this bubblegum pink scrub outfit that she was seen (laughs) leaving the mall in. And Detective Cedillo has her in the interrogation room and he's kind of chit chatting her up. You know, they're talking about what'd you do for Thanksgiving? What'd you have for Dindin? You know, having a little like recipe swap happening. He's really starting to like have her have her guard come down a little bit, which is, you know full-blown read technique. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so at this point, he kind of turns on her. It's like on a dime. He just turns and he's just like kind of coming at her. And she's just like, no, I was home. I was totally home and I was asleep. Oh, I love that
1: part. Oh.
0: And and I was doing laundry and I was washing pantyhose in the laundry room. And I'm like, bitch, you can wash pantyhose in the sink. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. You don't have
1: to go to a laundry room for that.
0: You don't have. No, you don't do that. And so, you know, she's trying to backpedal and, and make all these excuses. And he is just not having any part of it. And he's just kind of. Because he watched her. Yeah, he
1: watched the whole thing I happen. Mean, she's trying to convince him. He's like, you know, what did you do this morning? And, you know, she said basically that she didn't leave the house. <laughs> You know, I I slept in and then, you know, my guy left and then, you know, I washed my pantyhose and then I just kind of she she went back to sleep or she stayed home or something. And he's like, I watched you leave. And she continues. This is the amazing part. Right. She's arguing with a police detective (laughs) about what he saw with his own eyeballs. (laughs) she says to him I know what I did I know what I did are you telling me I don't know what I did with my own morning he's like what the fuck bitch I literally am telling you that I saw you drive away at like 7 30 and you're telling me I didn't see that like he's like we can't even have a conversation here you're not even in, in reality land Hello, listeners all of us here at homicide worldwide are very excited to share one of our favorite podcasts with you it's called nerded through the grapevine and here to tell you more about it our four best friends
0: hey everybody i'm dane holland it's a new std a sonic transmitted disease <laughs> i'm austin shazam pfeiffer So it would be just a smushed mashed potato situation going on in my young adolescent crotch
1: area. I'm Marcus Whitaker, known as I'm Electric Man.
0: So instead of talking about how CERN is trying to open up a portal to hell and end the entire universe... I guess I'm just going to read jokes off the freaking internet.
1: And I'm Austin Tiny Zim. Dr.
0: Strange, he's circumcised because would you want to uncircumcised wizard? I don't think so. And
1: if you'd like any of that to make any sense whatsoever, tune in to Nerd It Through the Grapevine, a podcast where four best friends gather weekly to talk about our favorite parts of past, present, and future nerd culture every Monday on Spotify, iTunes, and whatever your favorite app for podcast is. Come join us in the grapevine. Mm-hmm. Through the grapevine, wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: And so, Detective Sadio's partner, Ernie Pate, had said the same thing to her. He told her that Sadio was there. He watched you, he followed you, and you continued to lie to us. We'll be able to prove that you lied. And so, she was interviewed slash interrogated for like five hours at this point. There's also video footage of this questioning where she is seen taking a sip out of like a bottled water and kind of realizes like, oh shit, DNA. And she looks at
1: the bottle of water for like 15 seconds without moving,
0: trying to figure out like, what's my move on this. And then she's seen taking like a, like a tissue of some kind and wiping the mouthpiece and the sides of this water bottle off. And I'm like, that's,
1: not how this works, Carter. Okay, first of all, <laughs> a dumbass. <laughs> like if you've got your fucking DNA on shit, a tissue and a little bit of a wipey wipe is not gonna get your no. fucking DNA off. DNA is very small. Yeah, Carter. Oh my Lord lady, like the only way is to take it with you. Didn't people say she was smart? I know. There's all this talk about how smart she is, and yet so dumb. Right. And also they can just subpoena you for your DNA.
0: there's that so there's that as well welcome to america Mm -hmm. carter at this point though even though they have you know this extremely long interview process with her they know she's up to something Mm -hmm. they know david's getting up to something too with this they're both released because neither of them have there's no proof around what they did right it's just kind Mm -hmm. of like how the robbery in august was They kind of stall out with it for a minute, but it's only a minute because they actually make some pretty fast tracks with this. And so they end up getting a warrant to obtain Carter's DNA and then they release her. And so the next few days are just kind of them doing their due diligence. There's reviews of other surveillance videos. Then they see the surveillance where she's walking away and she's now in these hot pink scrubs and they're like, We know that this girl is involved at this point.
1: So as Keita said, the police continued to gather lots and lots of evidence. Some of that included images that they had sent each other by text of Ashley Harris's apartment building. They also found a handgun with an extended clip, the ski mask and also a set of lock picking tools and a book on how to pick locks and also locks that had had evidence of practice of lock picking one of the most very interesting pieces of evidence and the dumbest piece of evidence were some text messages that went back and forth about latitude and longitude coordinates <laughs> which when followed by the police <laughs> led to It's a lot and Open, freshly dug grave in uh, Loiters, Texas, which was about 35 miles outside of Abilene. So, not only had they dug a grave in which they intended to dispose of her body, not only that, (laughs) they texted each other the exact coordinates. (laughs) I mean, so helpful for the police, really. And so, anyway, they found the grave. It's just overwhelming. Also, a picture of the Infinity was shown to their neighbor who lived underneath Ashley. And he said that it was indeed the same car that he saw parked by her truck the morning of the murder. So more and more and more evidence is piling up. I really want to linger on the open grave, though. Isn't that amazing?
0: And the fact that they had sent each other like coordinates. And can you just imagine, though, that when the authorities Followed these coordinates and they were like, you know, coming out here. Mm-hmm. And they go and they see this open grave. That moment, I would just have loved to have been like a fly on a wall to see like what the expressions were. I would have loved to have known the conversation
1: that took holy place. Holy crap. I mean, it was like, holy crap. These people are dumb. I mean, holy crap. Oh my and God. And of course, we've got like receipts with like two shovels, gloves tarps, duct tape. I mean really like <laughs> just days before the murder too. That that's right. the best part. It's like the murder special. I honestly feel like if you work at if you work at a place like Walmart or Home Depot mm-hmm. and you see somebody come in and they basically buy murder tools. Yeah. Shouldn't it be like your duty to report them? Right. If it's like two shovels, gloves, duct tape, tarps. Although at the same time, some people who are listening to this are like, you know what? I, I've renovated my yard last week and I went and purchased those things and I'm not a murderer. So that's a good point. But like, I, don't, I just feel like if there's this all these things that line up like yeah. bleach, luminol.
0: <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, like when we were fixing the house, there mm-hmm. were a lot of times where we went to Lowe's or Home Depot and I'm like, they're going to think that we are like serial killers with the shit that we buy all the time. It's
1: not We're not
0: killing people. We're just killing ourselves trying to fix this house. (laughs) So together with all of this information that the police had started to compile the discovery of the human sized grave, the, obviously led back to Carter and David as well as the fact that both Carter and David had been terminated from American Eagle for the suspected theft in August. Everything just kind of came around. They worked very quickly and Carter and Clarence David Mallory, they were both arrested. David Mallory was arrested on December 5th of 2014 and Carter Carroll Cervantes was arrested on December 6th of 2014. So it was a very quick turnaround considering that the murder happened just days before. It did not take authorities a
1: long time. No, it didn't. To figure it out. And that was really thanks to the stupidity of both of them, just laying it all out.
0: Yeah, you got to love it. You know, I really do appreciate the stupid criminals who are like, we're not going to waste the tax dollars of the good people who pay. And we're just going to be stupid. (laughs) And so the state of Texas, I couldn't believe this when I read it. I had to like double check this like 10,000 times because the state of Texas waived the death penalty that was surprising to me it was really surprising to me because i love texas because it seemed kind of open and shut. yeah i love texas it's an awesome state i've been there a few times i've enjoyed myself but they have a motto there and it says don't fucking mess with texas mm-hmm. it doesn't say fucking but it says don't mess with texas it's implied the fucking is implied <laughs> Yeah. and so i'm like and also too like whenever there are executions it's like oh it's in texas oh, okay yeah the, texas is like You don't mess with
1: it. You don't mess with Texas. And and really, like, I can't think of situations that warrant the death penalty more than this one. It was so cold blooded. It was Mm -hmm. so planned. They walked in with, you know, knife, guns, duct tape. They were prepared to kill her horribly. And that's just what they did. Yeah. Anyway, th- but it was a cap these were both capital murder cases but this, as Keita said the state waived the death penalty so they were both tried with the, the goal of life imprisonment.
0: The really interesting twist that took place is you know, we don't normally spend a lot of time on the trials but in this particular case Carter Cervantes man she really <laughs> tried to bring her A game and she just spun this incredible
1: web of stupid lie after stupid lie but the lies began with her appearance like yes it did when you see her come into the courtroom she's she's like a waif she's like a waif right and she's the way that she's dressed she's got like dark stockings on so first of all dark stockings make your legs look thinner yeah the, the, yeah but <laughs> the goal here was to make her look like a young child so she wore stockings that made her look you know thin and sort of almost like gangly like a child she wore this were they
0: pantyhose
1: they were pantyhose panty yes pantyhose oh stockings is what we say in australia oh sorry. no
0: i was just curious because pantyhose is how she described them that's I right i say They're, tights
1: Tights. Oh, interesting to me tights don't have no they do have feet that would be a leggings without feet yeah. anyway um so she's dressed in a way that's sort of very young she has this kind of like baggy dress and mm-hmm. that's kind of short in a way that like a young girl might be. Like it's trying to convey innocence. Innocence and youth and sort of, yeah, I guess innocence is a very much the best way to put it. She kind of curls her hair into this kind of like wavy, curly style. Yeah. Not a, not a tiny bit of makeup because no. it makes you look a lot younger when you don't wear it. And far more pathetic in this case under fluorescent lights. Oh my gosh, didn't look great. No. But you know, what was interesting to me was when you watch somebody perform on the stand, And lay out a story that's not true when you know it's not true. It's really interesting to watch someone try to sell it. Um, And watching her try to sell this story of how she came to be in the thrall and in the clutches of David Mallory. and (laughs) The 19-year-old. The 19-year-old, terrifying 19-year-old David Mallory. (laughs) And all the things that happened to her. She made up this story that wasn't true.
0: She sure did. As you said, she had testified that she knew nothing about this murder and that she was terrified of David. Just terrified. She claimed that on Thanksgiving, after her, you know, really hard day's work of preparing this traditional feast that they enjoyed together, that they drank. They got down on a little uh, smoking of the devil's lettuce. Little Mary Jane. (laughs) They watched some movies and then after she fucking dumbass drank and then smoked, she got sick because she's an amateur
1: lightweight.
0: <laughs> Did you learn nothing in college? Um, she can't hang man. She couldn't hang she with her cross nope. And so she says that she got sick. And so at that point she claims that she laid down and went to sleep. And then when she woke up that it was dark and David was not there. She said that, both hands on the clock were pointed at five, making it 5.25 in the PM.
1: Interesting. That's such an odd thing to remember.
0: Yeah, it really was. She said David had eventually woken her and said that she needs to get ready to go to Claiborne and that he wanted her to pack. And so she's like, you know, in her cross-faded stupor, doesn't know what's going on. She says that they went to Claiborne and rented a motel room on the 28th of November and That later that day that David Mallory had her drive to the Hewlin Mall, which is where that American Eagle Outfitter store was located in Fort Worth. While she was driving, apparently he toyed. This is a quote. He toyed with a nine millimeter Glock handgun, which he held in his lap and
1: he didn't shoot his dick off.
0: He did not. Now, which was really, I don't know, maybe lucky for him, I guess. I don't know. Mm. She said that at this point he put the gun in her face and tried to make her steal money from the store and that he
1: threatened to hurt her parents and relatives if she didn't do what she was told. Oh my God. Yeah, he's like, there's somebody outside your parents' house right now. And if you don't go and you don't do this, this is what she told the cops. Yeah. That he told this to her, that there's so, there's a guy outside your parents' house right now just waiting for me to give him the word to go kill them if you don't do this.
0: Like what, this guy doesn't have anything better to do than go and sit outside this chick's parents' house who he doesn't know?
1: He's part of this big like conspiracy <laughs> plan that apparently this 19-year-old is helming somehow. Exactly
0: what I was just going to say. Like he's just waiting for the 19-year-old mastermind to give him the green light. Like, come on. Untrue. I also have to say there's no way that David Mallory has any gumption to do any of this. He's lazy as fuck. No, he is.
1: He's not going to do the, something like this. It's always going to be the path of least resistance.
0: Always clearly mm-hmm. with him. And so the next portion of what she spins is that, that yes, that he had threatened to hurt her parents and also other relatives, including her brother and her grandmother. And that she refused to do what she was told. And so with the whole robbing and at this point that they had returned back to the apartment where they lived only to be raped repeatedly
1: by David's friends. That's right. She makes this claim that she was raped by two of these large men who were friends of David's and, this was her whole story about the, the trauma that she endured and why she was in this like state where she was able to be a party to these crimes.
0: Yeah, and she had even gone on to testify that apparently this has happened numerous times where David has pointed a gun at her. She went on to testify that the first time that he pointed a gun at her, she flinched and he laughed. And he asked if I thought he would shoot me. I said, no. He said, you don't know me, but I know you.
1: What? It's a dumb thing to say. What?
0: I don't understand that at
1: all. She's making shit up. She just it goes on. And when you watch her, when you watch her in court, like, it's hilarious knowing that it's fake, but it's also awful. When you watch her face, like, she's she knows just when to sort of, like close her eyes like the memory is too awful to remember and she's an actress she's an actress she turns her face away and her eyes are filled with horror and she knows when to make her voice very quiet and shaky it is appalling and the doubly appalling because mm, you know i have a very deep despising of when people in general but especially when
0: people in general yes
1: yes people in general (laughs) but especially when people and it tends to be women in these cases make up stories of sexual violence and sexual abuse in order to justify an action. And what it does is it massively undermines the real victims of real crimes. And it gives people this whole thing that women lie about sexual violence. It is incredibly
0: damaging. Oftentimes, when somebody says that they've been sexually assaulted, like you're not going to challenge that. And I, I think that that was where her mentality was with this: is that She was saying that this had happened to her. She was trying to pretend to be the victim. And so in doing that, if she spun it like there had been a sexual assault and she was the victim and she was just having to go along with this plot, you know, she's just trying to get herself out of a situation that
1: she can't get herself out of. And so this is like her last ditch effort. That's right. And it's something that she expects will succeed because it is taboo to challenge it. And even me saying it right now, like I feel uncomfortable even like challenging it now, even knowing that it's a lie, I feel uncomfortable, like saying it's bullshit that she said she was sexually assaulted. Well,
0: continuing with her shenanigans with all of these massive, massive lies that she was also, by the way, on the stand in her own defense, perjuring herself, mm-hmm. by the way, she was telling this story that David evidently had her drive to the Walmart to get some dark sweats and some shoes that she could run in, is what she said. This was all after this Clayburn situation. And so instead of getting these dark sweats and something she could run in at Walmart, she ended up buying these hot pink scrubs. When she went into the Walmart, she told him that she was going to go in alone. And apparently he said to her, you better come out alone or I'll kill everyone you love. Wow. Because I'm sure he said that. Following it up with, there are people who are meaner than me following you. This is what she says that he said. This is her story while she's on the stand. Mind you, she's the one who masterminded all of this. Mind you, she's the one who, let's go back to August when she left the fucking door open for David. She's the one who's come up with every single little thing. And now she's flipping on him trying to make it so that she's Little Miss fucking Innocence and just nothing more than like another casualty in the wake of David fucking Mallory. So. When she was on the stand, something that was really interesting is her counsel, Steve Gordon, he was representing her along with uh, an attorney named Bill Ray. Steve Gordon asked her why when she was in this predicament, when she was in this store alone, when she was outside of eyeshot from David Mallory, if she was so terrified, like, why wouldn't you ask for help. Why wouldn't you call the cops? Why wouldn't you run away? I mean, I'm sure at this point, like you've got your cell phone. Can't you call your parents and be like, hey, is there a suspicious vehicle in front of your house? She said that there were just a lot of really scary looking people in
1: there. Just in general, people were scary looking.
0: I've been in Walmart too. I mean, I'm not saying that that part's a lie, but (laughs) but yeah, she said that there were just a lot of really scary looking people in there.
1: Who could have been any one of those people who were like, tailing her that he threatened apparently. Exactly.
0: With, exactly. And what a load of bullshit. She just had so many lies about all this entire situation, everything. She had an answer for it. When They took her back to the apartment, how David Mallory's friends raped her. And he was saying that he was going to kill her parents and how this and how that there was just always some kind of way for her to have
1: an excuse, some story around it. Just an excuse for everything. Like every single thing is not your fault. And this is how there's always a reason it's not (laughs) your fault. Yes,
0: exactly. And I loved the prosecutor in this. Kevin Rousseau was just.
1: (laughs) He was like a dog with a bone.
0: He was so awesome with her Uh, oh my god he was great you know i mean he he showed the jurors surveillance video that you were talking about where she's buying the shovels the rope the bungee cords the gloves and a tarp all on november 21st they go into the coordinates that were sent back and forth between them when she was asked about this on the stand which you don't take the stand in your own defense by the way
1: no that's just stupid
0: yeah you don't talk to cops you lawyer up and you don't take the stand that's right When she was asked about it, though, um, she claimed that David Mallory had dug it actually for her. And what she said that he said was, quote, I've already dug your grave. You're so stupid. You don't even know what I was planning. I texted you a picture of where I was going to bury you. Look at your phone.
1: (laughs) She said she said she was too afraid to talk. What? That's just so stupid. Like... (laughs) Yeah. And also this whole thing about like texted you a picture of where I'm going to bury you. Look at your phone.
0: (laughs) But meanwhile, like this whole plan was like a month in the making. So he's just he's going to you guys are going to go and buy lockpicking stuff. You guys are going to case your the other manager's house. And somehow this grave was really meant for you, Carter.
1: They don't understand how suspicious their behavior looks. It's so surprising to me. The excuse sounds like such bullshit, but to them, it's almost like a logic puzzle that they have solved.
0: Yeah. Like in their minds, they're like, I am so smart. I'm
1: totally so smart. And I'm outsmarting everybody because I'm so smart. It seems like they think that if they can just close the loop on every question, that once all the loops are closed, they will be released. There's not this wider understanding that Your behavior is so incredibly suspicious. This is not about just closing the technical little loopholes and then you're going to be let free. It's evident that you were involved. It's not about like, oh, well here, look, I'm just going to make sure that you don't have a motive by saying that I was raped. Like you don't get to just say that and make it all go away.
0: You know, just like us, just like our listeners, the jury saw right through this bullshit and they took about two hours to deliberate and they sentenced (laughs) her. They came back and they were like, "Mm, no guilty life. Bye. Bye. No parole. Have fun for the remainder of your life because
1: that's a long ass time. She's young and healthy.
0: David Mallory's trial was like pretty uneventful. He was also sentenced to life uh, without parole. And they were 22 and 27 respectively. Remember he was 19 and she was 25 when all of this started. But yeah, 22 and 27 when they were sentenced without the possibility of parole, that is a long
1: life. Mm -hmm. That's worse than dying. Sorry. Oh no. Yeah. Spending your life in prison. That's worse than dying. Kevin Rousseau
0: uh, said, When he was addressing the jury, quote, imagine the horror. Somebody is probably sitting on you while somebody else is taping up your hands and then your ankles. They slash your throat. And then when she's finally dead, they set her place on fire. There are a lot of people in that apartment complex, which says a lot about the defendants in this case. And that last sentence really caught me because when you stop to consider that it wasn't a single home, it was an apartment, like I was talking about in the beginning of this. And how many lives they put at risk with setting the fire. I mean, you share walls. There are so many things had that, that sprinkler system not kicked on and extinguished the flames or got enough of the apartment wet so that the flames couldn't burn. I mean, that could have gotten away so quickly and it could have been so much more. And they didn't stop to consider that there were so many other lives. It wasn't just Ashley who they were trying to to get rid of. There were so many other people who could have
1: been injured or killed or, or worse. Even if you aren't killed, even let's say that everybody escapes, but the whole thing burns to the ground, right? It's your whole life. Starting over again with nothing, you know, and losing everything that you have is devastating. They could have devastated so many people's lives, not only obviously the many, many people who knew and loved Ashley Harris.
0: Yeah. And he had another really powerful statement, which was there are no good murders, but at least there are some you can understand. This was different. At a minimum, this took at least a month of planning. They stalked Ashley Harris like people stalk a deer. That was exactly the right way to put it because they did. They stalked her. They watched her moves. It didn't have to go the way it did. And I think I go back to it's another one of these cases where I think they wanted to do it. I think they were so angry and they had had from August to November to sit there and really like fester on this and really have the anger boil up that... Eventually, it just it came to the point where they wanted to kill her. Um, anyway, fun facts. Yes, I think we need some fun facts after that one.
1: We do a little palate cleanser,
0: a little palate cleanser. According to www.reviews.org, there are a myriad of Black Friday incidents like, in, in like the type of injuries or the
1: type <laughs> yeah. of shitty events that yes. happen on Black Friday? It's
0: okay. a pie chart for you because I know you like your pie charts. Oh, I, love I know. I don't like them, but I just copied and pasted it. I didn't have to actually make it. <laughs> Some of these include, I'm sure that this is not like the full list, but this is just the, the ones that made it on here. We have trampled, shooting, car, stabbing, pepper spray, and fighting as the incident types on here. Now, trampled makes up for 30%. Yay. Shootings make up for 26.7%. Oh, that's surprising. Yeah. Cars make up for 16.7%. So I'm kind of guessing that that's that dystopian world that I was talking about in the intro where, I don't know, maybe people ram
1: each other in the parking lot. I can imagine that it's like fighting over parking spots. (laughs) Like some bitch stole your TV and you follow her (laughs) out. And then when she gets in her car, you ram her like... I can imagine that. I mean, you know, Americans like their TV. So, I mean, I'm, you know. And they like to use their cars as weapons.
0: It's true. Stabbing makes up for 13.3%.
1: Always a classic.
0: Pepper, pepper spray makes up for 67 mm. And fighting is also
1: 6.7%. i am a little sad that fighting's not higher up. Just a good old fashioned fisty cuffs.
0: But think about the very first one. Being trampled,
1: trampled,
0: trampled because people are fucking crazy and they want the deal. It's insane.
1: When you step back and you think about the fact that people are willing to die to get save five dollars. Right. And these are non-essential items. People are not trampling each other for water (laughs) and food. (laughs) They're trampling each other for the cheapest Xbox.
0: Yeah. Or some like shitty fucking like synthetic blend sweater yeah like i'm all about it like i'll take a cashmere duster but i i might trample somebody for that but i'm not gonna like if it's polyester eh, i can have it i'm not gonna yeah Mm -hmm. i'll trample somebody
1: for real cashmere uh
0: uh, out here in california uh we have reported the most black friday incidents you're number one i mean we are the most populous state we've (laughs) even uh you know, we've even logged two deaths under a belt. So uh, we got that going for us. Um, yep. But because we don't have that many incidents per capita, we're not even in the top five. <gasps> really? Yeah, isn't that crazy? But I mean, as I said before, I mean, I've been to my share of Black Fridays um, and I don't believe that. I mean, I've mm-hmm. I've seen it. Malls are fucked on the Black Friday and oh, uh, not into it. Alaska Has the least interest in Black Friday deals, which I I might I might come for you, Alaska. I might come and Mm -hmm. post up up there because that's so many reasons to love Alaska. That's pretty cool. Like they don't care. They're like, it's fucking cold. Why am I going to go? Also, they don't
1: have stores in Alaska. (laughs) No stores in Alaska. Yeah. So no Black Friday tramplings. I mean, it just makes sense. Simple math. They do have stores in Alaska, but just not as many as like.
0: <laughs> but I mean, just the fact, though, that they're just like, yeah, we don't
1: care. I mean, why? Why
0: would they care? I mean, why does anybody care? I don't know. At her trial, Carter, <laughs> Carter looked like fucking dry remains. She did look like dry remains. She like the end of
1: the decomposition process.
0: <laughs> she was so bad. like You said how she just looked all like, you know, like no makeup. I mean, she was yeah. literally like the color
1: of ash. She looked like she had not had a drink of water in like 72 hours. (laughs) Just a sallow. Yeah. And her, the same attorney, uh,
0: Steve Gordon, said of her, apparently in her defense, quote, if the intent to murder Ashley was developed by Mr. Mallory and some others, would it be smart? Would it be wise to bring along someone who could have been blown away by a strong breeze? (laughs) He's not wrong, but I don't understand how that's a defense. Well, he's not exactly wrong. Exactly.
1: I'm just like... It's like, she's too skinny to kill.
0: I thought this was really sweet. We talked about Ashley a little bit with her personal life. And one of the things she really liked to do was she really... She was old. She was like an old woman. (laughs) And I love her for this because she Mm -hmm. loved to play bingo with her mom. I love bingo. Look, that's like... An activity for a 90 year old woman, but I love pants, bingo, early nights. Totally. I love that she did this with her mom. That was like their, their jam. And so Mm -hmm. at some point, you know, like it was fairly obvious from a young age that Ashley was a lesbian, but she hadn't actually come out. And so when she came out to her mom, her mom was like, yeah, I already know. She, she took a minute. She kind of had to process it her own way. And she was like, you know what? I, I love you. You're my daughter. I'm supporting you. I will always be here for you. And I thought that was, you know, a really special thing. And after Ashley was killed, her mom continued to play bingo. And now several of the ex-girlfriends that Ashley had now go with Ashley's mom. And they've kind of grown very close. And they're kind of like extended daughters to her. And so it was, yeah, I thought it was a really like sweet way for them to kind of like come together and still in kind of almost in Ashley's honor, like still represent her and just kind of do something that she really loved to do with her mom. I thought that was really sweet. And I love this because Ashley's stepfather, who's known as Chuck daddy, uh, (laughs) said of the decision not to seek the death penalty quote, our personal preference would have been that they both be executed. But the state made a decision not to pursue the death penalty, end quote. He believes that it's the overall lack of criminal history on both of their parts and that their ages contributed to the decision. But I go back to that Texas has its state motto that you don't mess with Texas. And I feel like there are other people who haven't had criminal backgrounds either and maybe have definitely gotten executed.
1: But at the same time, I will say this. It is much easier to sell a jury on life imprisonment than it is on the death penalty.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, to a degree, I do understand that. And I think that I don't know if I was on a jury, if I would be able to to do it either. I don't know if I could really say.
1: Pull the trigger, so to speak.
0: But yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I do understand it, but I, I thought it was
1: funny that their personal preference would have been that they both be executed. I like that. That was very direct. <laughs> Our personal preference would have been that they both be executed. <laughs> yeah. Damn, that was to the point. Yep.
0: And uh, Kill them both. My final fun fact and the best news of all, you kind of touched on the golden retriever when they discovered Ashley. The golden retriever was in the apartment with her, but was actually rescued and saved by the firefighters. So, Nala! For all of our friends wondering about how little puppers did, Nala survived. Yeah. Yay. It's always good when the dog survives. Yes.
1: So, Kita, if you were one of our listeners and you wanted to support us more, mm. what would you do and where would you go?
0: Well, one of the best ways that our listeners can support us is by going to Apple Podcast and giving us a review and a rating, preferably five-star, please. Uh, we hope you're enjoying our show. We really enjoy doing this, and we would love to continue to do this. Apparently, there's an algorithm out there that helps us be noticed by other listeners so the more reviews we have the more five stars we have the more people will listen it'll catch on and then we can stay around and continue to bring you murder it's what you're here for That's right. if you want to get a hold of the show and suggest anything if you want to suggest a show idea or anything you want us to stop talking about (laughs) you can email us over at homicide worldwide podcast at gmail.com you can find us on Instagram we have two Instagram We have Homicide Worldwide Podcast, and we have Homicide Worldwide Podcast Production. Those are both legitimate, and you can find us there as well. Follow us, like our posts, invite friends to follow us. You know what to do. Send us
1: nude selfies. <laughs>
0: oh my God, please. No.
1: Well, just send them to me. <laughs> send them to Attention, Sally. I don't want to. Attention <laughs> Sally. Care of
0: Sally. <laughs> I, you know, Facebook, I'm not really going to participate in that. Like, I, I don't really do it. We, we do have a Facebook, but I, we don't do anything with it. We also have a Patreon. If you want to support us on Patreon, because you love us so much and support the show over there. And just continue to tell your friends all about us because that's the biggest thing. It helps us stay relevant and it helps people know that we exist because that's a right. lot of people surprisingly don't listen to podcasts. It's amazing. And I'm like,
1: oh, I have a podcast. And they're like, What's a podcast? And I'm like, I don't know what's a podcast. I've noticed that when I tell, usually women aged between about twenty. <laughs> women of a certain age. With a certain age about 28 and about 50 that I do a murder podcast and they're like murder podcast and they're like drool out yeah, the side of them mouth and they yeah, yeah yeah and then I have to write it down for them so you know what if you like it and your buddies like it please share yeah.
0: and the biggest thing is really just to give us a rating that's the biggest thing that helps us so much more than I even realized when we first started doing this and probably mm. a lot more than people out there really realize it's, it's a free way of supporting the show and it means a lot to us.
1: We all have red lines that we won't cross those ethical or moral or legal or simply practical rules for how we live our lives. I bitch and moan about how awful people are, but for the most part, The majority of folks are generally decent and are trying to live their lives without messing with other people too much. Most of us, for example, won't steal from other people or from a store. We might not mention it if the checker doesn't scan one of our items at the checkout, but we wouldn't go so far as to slip a small expensive item into our bag. That's our red line. Similar boundaries exist for how we interact with other people. Most of us would never deliberately hurt or kill or torture another person. And not only do we avoid doing these things, but we find it unthinkable that there exist others who actively choose to. Because for most of us, our red lines prevent us from ever taking those actions. I cannot begin to imagine pushing a blade into someone's body, whipping a pistol butt against their skull taking glee in their agony it sickens me just to think about it but i'm not carter cervantes who shares with other shitty humans who have gone before her an ability to put aside the inherent value of a human life she put aside ashley harris's value to her loved ones and her community instead ashley became the focus of carter's rage at being forced to experience the consequences of her own actions the rage of a spoiled toddler with the patience and planning of a sociopath. And David Mallory joined her, eager to get in on the vengeance. Ashley had been the means of his downfall. And by downfall, of course, I mean winning the prize you earned. Despite her intelligence, which is evident in police interviews, Carter was unable to project into the future the paths her actions would take. That's the thing about long-term planning. You have to be able to cast these lines of consequence into the future and see what you can hook. And then you reel in with your actions, the consequences that you accept. By adulthood, if we've had decent parenting and no traumatic brain injuries, most of us can anticipate and visualize the potential consequences of our actions and thus protect ourselves from stupid decision-making, the kind that ends with theft, arson, torture, and murder. For all their planning, these two vicious, hapless criminals are reaping their stupid harvest. Perhaps they'll reflect on where exactly they went wrong. But where to start with so many choices? You've been listening to Homicide Worldwide. But what she doesn't know is that the manager, Chris and Ashley, when they had sat down just a few days before and no, wait, that's not right. <clears throat> no, they they realized when her keys were missing. That's right. But what they don't know. But what Ashley doesn't know is that because the keys no, have been. Mm, <laughs> but what? Hard to <laughs> But what Carter was for. Yeah. T- it would, and <laughs> not because our nipples are del- long,
0: but because <laughs> I, I kind of feel like I should start that whole thing over, and he should take that out. Please take that out, um, or, not. or not, whatever.
1: <laughs> there are people. <laughs> know, it's so uh, bullshit. Uh, bullshit. It's amazing. There are people who just because algorithms. <laughs> I'm going to fart. Okay. Now I'm done. Yep. Yay. How was that Todd?